Hallelujah. I want to share some two conversations here. One of them was when the Lord took me to Paris to bring this message there. Big conference took place there. And about 2 a.m. of 11th of May, I had finished all the conference plus the healing service. And then I was about to travel. So it was 11th of May night, 12th of May morning, 2009. And the Lord spoke with me at that time in a very unusual way, which I'm going to describe here to set us on motion. Hallelujah. In that vision, I was looking up into the sky. And then I saw a piece of paper. Before I knew it was written on, I saw a piece of paper coming like a kite. Meaning like this, like a kite. All the way from heaven, a piece of paper, like a kite. And then it fell on my right foot. And then the voice said, look and see what has fallen at your feet. But anyhow, I did not look here. When the voice spoke, I did not look here. Why? Because I was very surprised to hear the voice, you know. So essentially, I looked up. I was very shocked when the voice spoke. So I looked up, out of shock. And then later, is when I looked down and saw the piece of paper. And picked it. And when I picked it, I found that was written on. With blue pen. Written on with blue pen handwritten so the writing was in this way the first one above the second one in the middle the third one at the bottom with blue pen and real handwriting because slanted a little bit and so then I began to read the first one above read I am coming and when I read the second one, it says, I am coming. When I read the third one, the bottom one, it said, I am coming, says the Lord. And then I woke up. First and foremost, I was very excited and very happy. I said, wow, he wrote me a note and sent me. You know, that alone is a big deal. Yeah, I did not want to ignore that. That was very big. It shocked me, even the manner of relationship. The kind of relationship where he writes you a note and sends it to you, you know? A handwritten note, blue pen. But most importantly was the message. I am coming, says the Lord. And then after that, again, the Lord spoke with me another time. Now listen to this. In this other conversation, he wrote a note again. I want you to know that it, this has been the way of communication for some time with the Lord. When the Lord, when He just called me, He used to help me get bearing, you know, about Scripture. So many times as He sends me to a place, I could see the hand writing on the wall. The hand and the finger would write... For example, when he called me, he wrote Isaiah 43, verse 11 and verse 1. And I saw the hand, the finger now write it. And he wrote it on a plexi plastic, something like very thick, transparent. 
And then he took another one and sealed. So the writing was in. I can give a whole sermon on how the Lord protects his word. It was inside. So you read it through the plexi plastic. And that was Isaiah 43 verse 11 and verse 1. So I am used to that kind of conversation. He set up that line of communicating where he writes he writes on the wall or he writes in the sky and then he makes me read it. Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 19 and 20. I remember one time he wrote that where Sanballat and the rest you know and they said then the Lord of heaven, the God of heaven will give us victory give us success but for you you have no inher no share on jerusalem when they were building the house so right from the beginning i understood the mission to go and rebuild the house so in that second conversation the writing and when i read the piece of paper in fact this time around he wrote and his hand brought it very close and then I began to read it. This time around, it was typed. It wasn't handwritten. And what was typed was this. This is what it read. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. Again. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. From that day on, I began to understand how the Lord calls the day of rapture. Hallelujah. From that day on, I understood. Because I think in the Bible, we don't meet the rapture, right? You meet the description, but probably you don't meet the word rapture. But what I'm saying is now, from that point on, I understood how he designates the day. How he calls the day. So, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. Hallelujah. And so I want to center on those two conversations. Now, what is the conversation, what is the message the Lord is bringing through this message of the written note from heaven? The first one says, I am coming. And the second one says, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. Hallelujah. How awesome a conversation with the church. Very direct conversation, right? Straight talk with the church. Now, if you go into the Bible and endeavor to look at the places where the Lord says, I am coming, you'll find a few places in the Bible. Because the Bible always is the reference. If you go into the book of Revelation, you'll find places where he says, I am coming. Revelation 3.11, Revelation 22.12, 22.7. However, in those scriptures, then you pick out the message. I know it's obvious and very clear that he is saying that the Messiah is coming. Hallelujah. Yes, but sometimes you want to dig deeper and find out what are the mechanistics, what are the things we need to do and to prepare, to understand it deeper. Now, I'm going to focus on a few things here today. I'm going to focus on the fact that Melchizedek's day is the day of light and how you as the church in this land 
can uphold the light of Christ that you received upon salvation, right? When you receive Christ, your lamps are lit, right? The lamps of your hearts are lit. And he says, you are the light of the world. Because he lights the lamp of your heart. And if the inside of you is darkness, it will be seen on the face, right? Because it says, the eyes are the mirror of what is inside. Hallelujah. So the world has to see the light. How to sustain that light? How to safeguard that light? How to protect that light until that day? I'll be focusing on that. However, I would like to read a little bit on Revelation in terms of I am coming before we go into that. And I'll give you a few points today. It will be more of a teaching, a very, very deep teaching. However, if we go into Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. He says here, Hallelujah. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hallelujah. And thank God today I'm going to indeed focus on how to hold on to the light you received. How to safeguard the salvation that was hard won on the cross. How to preserve the gains at Calvary. Hallelujah. Thank God I'll be focusing on that. But you see, when he says, I am coming, then he right away says, hold on, verse 11. He said, I am coming. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He's saying, essentially, hallelujah, that there is risk of plunder. <laughs> that's the message that's coming through. There is risk of loss. And that means, in as much as Jesus finished the work at Calvary, we too have some work to safeguard this here. Oh yes. That it may not be taken away. Meaning, the devil is always walking around, looking around, tricking around, prowling around, on how he can snatch it from you. Hallelujah. I'm just reading these as a foundation. Then we go to the message. Today's message will be very deep. Another one I can go to Revelation 22. I'll begin with 7. Then I'll go to 12 and then I'll go to 20. If I begin with 7. Revelation 22, 7. And this is just to set the stage for the discussion I am going to launch with you. He says here. Verse 7, Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. That's very powerful. And that's such a huge elaboration. That's exhaustless. Why? Because there's so much prophecy in this book, right? Including the book of Revelation itself. And part of the prophecy says... Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, nobody 
will see the Lord. That's part of the prophecy in this book. The other prophecy talks about the lamb. He will walk with those that have not soiled their garment. They have not soiled their raiments. And he makes reference to those in Sardis. Hallelujah. There's so much prophecy in this Bible. And all prophecy in the Bible points at one major prophecy. What I call the most central prophecy in the entire Bible. The most, all biblical prophecy essentially revolves, gravitates around one single central prophecy. In fact, that prophecy was given by Christ Jesus, our Lord himself. And when he gave that prophecy, sometimes you can call it the Mount of Olives prophecy. Sometimes, depending on how you call the Mount of Olives, some people call it Olivet, Olivet prophecy. But that central prophecy, listen to this now. The Lord Jesus, if you look at the routine he observed during his time here on the earth, when he did his ministry here and he walked the earth with his glorious feet on these dusty roads and muddy roads, if you follow very carefully the routine he observed, this is what he did. Every time he went out and engaged with the public and ministered to them, upon completion of that ministration, he always withdrew from the public. Hallelujah. So he observed that routine. To engage with the public, upon completion of that session, he always withdrew, he shrunk, he pulled back. And sometimes, that becomes the lesson for the priesthood. Hallelujah. Because many times when he withdrew, in fact all the time when he withdrew, he always withdrew to the Mount of Olives. Hallelujah. To the Mount of Olives. And sometimes your heart breaks and this crushes your heart that for you here you have palatial homes, nice living, beautiful home. When you look at the street and the homes, and the homes are large. Hallelujah. And so it breaks your heart that the Messiah the Redeemer of all men had no home. He had no home to withdraw to, to recline in. And so every time he engaged with the multitude, upon completion of that session, he always withdrew. And most of the time, you find that he withdrew to the Mount of Olives, to the rock, that stony mountain. He had no home to return to. Oh, that is incredible. That is shocking. However, look at this. Every time the Lord had finished ministering, he always withdrew to this mountain. And in one of those occasions, when he had finished ministering, as he was withdrawing to the mountain, then the disciples came and stopped him. And this is what they said. Lord, look at the temple of the Lord. Look at the house of the Lord. Look at how beautiful. The Bible says, 
they tried to draw his attention to the magnificence of the architecture. And that is when the Lord broke their heart. He dismayed them. He said, do you see this? A time is coming when all this must be brought down. And he says, to the extent that no stone will be left on another. Are we together? Follow me on this very careful. Follow me on this precious people. To the extent that no stone will be left on another. And so, out of shock, they wondered, why would somebody bring down such a beautiful house of the Lord? That is when they received revelation from the Lord, from Jehovah, the Father, that, oh, he must be talking about the signs of the coming of the Messiah and of the end of the age. Hallelujah. So he says, that's when they came to him and he was sitting on the rock on that mountain. And the Bible says they came up to him privately and asked him, Lord, when will this happen? And what will be the signs of your coming? And when the Lord Jesus opened his breath to respond, the most central prophecy in the entire Bible was bathed out. All the other prophecies simply revolve around this one. Hallelujah. Listen to this. That prophecy was so central, so key. Why? Because it is the prophecy when the Lord Jesus himself finally gave the secrets of what signs to look out for for his coming and for the end of the age. Hallelujah. Now, for example, Matthew 24. Can you turn with me to Matthew 24, precious people? Matthew 24. Let us read the Matthew version of it. Just one aspect. Matthew 24. From verse 1 he says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Do you understand now? And he goes on and on. Verse 3 says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, see what I said? The disciples came to him privately. Tell us. They said, When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Hallelujah. Now, verse 4, I said, when the Lord just opened his breath to respond, the most central prophecy in the whole Bible was backed out. Verse 4, he says, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So, if I were you and meet the word deceive, I would underline that word. When you go down, he talks about the war. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. When you go further on, he talks about the famines, the earthquakes. All these things have been going around the globe prophesying. Hallelujah. 
Let's take the first one. Deception. Hallelujah. In other words, the first prophecy that he gave, the first sign he gave to the church. Now look at these precious people. Here was the Lord sitting on the mountain, on that rock. And they came up to him privately at his feet. Lord, tell us what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age. Privately. And then when he opened his breath to respond, verse 4, this is the prophecy he gave. Watch out that nobody deceives you. Eh? Be careful. Watch out that nobody deceives you. Because many will come claiming I am the Christ and deceive many. How could Jesus say this to his disciples? How possible is that? Because when you walk with somebody for three years on a daily basis, you get to know them so well that sometimes when they just knock on the door at night and say, Praise the Lord, is anybody here? You know, oh, John, that's you. How are you? Oh, yes. You get to really know them, including their voice. Their likes and dislikes. They walked with Jesus. They lived with Jesus. They knew his position on sin. They also knew his position on righteousness. How could he turn around and say, watch out that you are not deceived. Somebody else is coming to claim he's the Christ to you. He's coming to you to say he's Jesus. Isn't that amazing? For me, that stunned me, you know. However, listen to this now. He said, the first sign will be deception. That in the days before I come, there will be deception. And later on, if you go down the scale, he goes on to describe this prophecy. There's a place at which he says, all these are the beginning of birth pains. You understand? So, later on, you also understand that these are just the preamble, the introduction to the big one. And we know it too well that the day of deception is coming. When he would place here the abomination that causes the desolation. We know the wicked, the evil triunity is coming. And they would try to replace the Lord and the Trinity of God with a false prophet, the Antichrist, and Satan himself, right? So, even as he says, these are the beginnings of birth pain. Look at this now. You really understand that even the deception itself that he's talking to them about would be the beginning of the grand deception. Hallelujah. Now listen to this. Be careful that nobody deceives you. So anyhow, let us see what John saw in that prophecy. The reason John did not record it in the gospel according to John, the glorious gospel of Jesus described in John, is because the Lord put him aside to receive the transcript, the revelation. That in real time, may understand, watch your news, read the prophets, watch the news, read uh, the book of John, and I say, oh, this seal must have been broken now. However, it also underscores another very important thing to the church. What does it underscore the church? Look at this now. The Lord Jesus gives the prophecy in Matthew 24. And in Revelation chapter 6 is the transcript, the revelation that reveals it. 
in real time. Then in that way, you don't have to go to theological college to understand the Bible. In that way, Bible interprets Bible. Bible is self-sufficient. Because most of you have to go to college. Somebody has to teach you. Sometimes they will teach you human theology there. Sometimes it's better to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I'm disarming them from theological colleges, right? Oh yes, disconnecting you. Anyhow, let us now go into the book of Revelation chapter 6 and see how that translates. The deception the Lord Jesus talked about, right? Revelation chapter 6. I'm reading verse 1. And he says, and I think it will be 1 and 2. He says, I watched. Now you see what the Lord the Messiah said on the other side, on the Mount of Olives. The revelation is received by John. And this is what John sees. John says, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. That means on the scroll of God. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out. He rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. He was riding. Meaning, a conqueror bent on conquest means he is not ready to take anything less than victory. Did you understand? He is not taking anything other than victory. Hallelujah. He says, Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice, in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked and there before me was a white horse. His rider held a bow. And he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Determined to conquer. Who is this? That is the reason the church has fallen today. The reason the church has fallen today is because they thought this was the Messiah. Why? Listen to this now. When the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, who is opening the seals? The Lamb, the Messiah. But anyhow, anyhow, hold on. That, that's not really where you could have caught it from, where the church should have caught it from. He says, the rider of the white horse came out with a bow. Does the Messiah come with a bow? He comes with a sword, right? A sharp sword. Anyhow, he also says that this rider has a crown. Does the Messiah come with a crown? He comes with many crowns. When I gave the vision of the two golden glorious wedding rings that denotes the wedding of the Lamb, the day of the wedding of the Lamb, Revelation 19 verses 6 all the way to 9, however, verse 11 on describes that powerful white horse the Lord showed me. The powerful glorious white horse. It is not this one. Two different horses. This is the white horse that is part of the four horses, horsemen of the apocalypse. This is not the Messiah. And because the church failed to rebuke this 
horsemen, the church is fallen. His name is deception. Be careful that nobody deceives you. The first sign. How does the church preserve that light? The gains at Calvary in these last days, in these perilous days, in these wicked days, evil days. Hallelujah. How do you preserve the light? Because he says, Melchizedek's day is the day of light. How do you preserve that original gain, original light that we received at Calvary? I thought I should give you this that you may continue on with this. The Lord will help you as you continue. We know that based on the few scriptures we've read today, there is a danger of losing the light. And the closer we move towards the finishing line, the greater the risk. Like I've said now, deception is in place. Deception is in the house. Deception is teaching modernism, compromise, liberalism. That's what deception is teaching the church today. And Christians, one after the other, are subscribing to deception. But how do you preserve the gains? Number one, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God. That's number one. Seek first, meaning, in whatever you choose to do today, make sure in that doing of that whatever, you seek first the kingdom of God. Oh yes, that will help you. <laughs> it will really help you to be able to prioritize, to centralize your salvation. And I'm reading a few scriptures here. The first scripture I give you under that point, how to preserve your light, to seek first the kingdom of God in whatever you do, whether you're going to university, or you're beginning a ministry, or you're getting into a marriage, or you're getting a property, make sure in that doing of that, it comes out, it towers very clearly that you have sought first the kingdom of God. Because you don't want to do anything that wafts you, drifts you away at this hour. Matthew, I give you a few scriptures about it, so you can also teach them elsewhere. Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 to 33. Let me read it with you. How do we preserve the light? And I said, the following principles will help you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 to 33. He says, for the pagans... Run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. <laughs> then he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you as well. And he says, verse 34 is also good. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Look at what the Lord says about the salvation we have and the time we are in. He's saying a dispensation of materialism, of horizontal living, 
would consume the earth. But you that have been expensively purchased by the treasured blood of the Son of the living God, he says, be careful now. Seek first the eternal kingdom of God. Because that is the eternal, eternal gain. And his righteousness. And he says, and he knows you need these things. Don't worry. And everything else will be given unto you, even as the Lord deems fit for you. We need to be in the will of the Lord. That's what the Lord is saying. But listen to this very carefully. The Lord is saying that he is a jealous God. That's what he's saying in this principle, this point number one. He's saying, always seek me first. I feel bad when you seek the other first. And the church today has done this. Has done it this way. She has sought the world first before the kingdom. Let me give you my example here. Sometimes you don't know what will happen tomorrow. You just go, you don't know what will happen. And I think that is the best way to do ministry. Sometimes you do not know. You say, if the Lord says I will eat tomorrow, so be it. If the Lord wants me to go minister, okay, I'll go and minister. We'll apply for visa. If we find that they don't give us the visa, I'll tell them, I know that the Lord did not want me to go there. Or the time is not it. I never mourn over it. Never ever. In any case, it's so clogged, the calendar. Let us begin to surrender fully to the Lord and enter the will of God and observe, live a life of adventure with the Lord. He is saying, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about what will I eat? What will I wear? How will I go? He says, the Lord will give you these things even as he deems right for you. Because if you come to Kenya, you find big churches, huge, huge, like the Baptist church. Very huge, huge temples, but empty. The Lord is not there. What is the point entering into that huge temple that is empty, void? i rather squat here with the Lord. Did you understand me? Make sure you prioritize the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God in whatever you do, and it will be well. The light will be preserved. The next one is Matthew 3, 2. The next scripture under that point. Hallelujah. Matthew 3, 2, he says, This is he who was spoken of through the prophets, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the path of the Lord. And so forth. Listen, precious people. To seek the Lord first means to prepare the way for the Lord. It also means turning to God. Fully turning to the Lord. It also means a people returning to Jehovah. And that also means change of heart, mind, and total life. And it also means accepting the reign of God in your heart. It also implies overcoming all forms of evil and wickedness of the day. 
it implies killing and crucifying the flesh in us. Seeking ye first the kingdom of God also means the removal of the consequences of sin from our lives. Again, I said the removal of consequences of sin from our lives, including death. Why? Because righteousness is eternal. The other point is Isaiah 35 verses 8 to 9. That is still under the main principle of seeking the kingdom of God first in whatever you do in order to preserve the light, the gains that we receive from Calvary. Isaiah 35 verses 8 to 9 is part of those little points under this principle. Isaiah 35 8 and 9. Isaiah 35, 8 and 9, this is what he says. He says, And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. And it will be for those who walk in that way, meaning that lifestyle, in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Verse 9, No lion will be there. Nor will any ferocious or ravenous, other versions say, nor will any ferocious beast get upon it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed of the Lord will walk there. When you seek the kingdom of God first, together with his righteousness, then essentially you walk in this highway. And he's saying on this highway, that the enemy cannot get to you. That's incredible. Another point here, still, still under the first principle, Luke twelve thirty one, please. Luke twelve thirty one. Hallelujah. Luke twelve thirty one. This is what he says. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. It's the same. Deuteronomy chapter four, still on the same, verse twenty four. Another scripture is Deuteronomy chapter 4, 24. Under the same principle, seek the kingdom of God first. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 24. He says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. That's why he wants you to seek him first, to prioritize him first in your life. Another scripture before we go to the second point, precious people. Hebrews chapter 11, 6. And Jeremiah, of course, chapter 29, 13. Can I go to the second point now? The second point, the second principle that I wanted to bring to you, how to preserve the light. Don't seek the approval of man, but of God. Do not seek the approval of man, but of God. In other words, don't care about man. Sometimes it will sound bad to the carnal body, it will be illogical, unrealistic. But he says, don't worry about them. Worry about the Lord. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. Galatians 1, 6 to 10. And these principles will help you. Hallelujah. If I were trying to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. So it's very clear. From today on, 
in this land. I know you love each other so much. And the Lord is saying, even in this unity here, this peace and cohesiveness, whatever it is here, seek not the approval of man, but of God. Be careful. Begin to screen out your relationships. Begin to screen out the things you do. Make sure the Lord is prioritized. Make sure in whatever you do, you seek the approval of the Lord first. Whether it means they will call you holier than thou, they will call you what, it does not even matter. Because on that day you will stand alone before the Lord, right? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yes, they won't be there with you to account for your failure to measure up, right? So for each of the principles, I'll read one scripture, right? Like Galatians came out very clearly, he said, The gospel of Christ we received is a powerful gospel of the blood and the cross. And he's saying, if anybody comes here and gives you another gospel that is void, that's empty, that does not have the cross and the blood, he said, let them be condemned, cast to death. In other words, don't receive them. The original light that we received was handed down at Calvary on the cross and that light is by the blood of Jesus. So make sure in whatever you do, whichever church you go to, I don't know which churches you go to, make sure they preach a sound doctrine and it's your responsibility to ensure that. To make sure that if it's not right, you simply step out. Because there is no time to argue and bargain with people. Make sure they teach about the cross. That is where we made gains. That's where the light came from. So we cannot lose the light because now we are modern people. Hallelujah. I'm only saying that the more modern they become, I've been all over the world, the more modern they become, the more the cross becomes irrelevant. That you have seen and that they have seen too. And that's why he's saying, if you are the true servant of Christ, you must preach the original gospel. Crucifying flesh, repentance, rebuking sin. So don't worry. It is the Lord that brings the ship. You rather remain with five families that you are preparing for the kingdom of God. But not to compromise the gospel. That's what he's saying there. He said, I would not be the servant of Christ if I compromise the gospel. Hallelujah. On top of that, you can add Romans 12, 1, 2. And then, let's move on to the next principle. The next principle says, number three says, learn to stand alone even within the congregation. Learn to stand alone even within the church. This is what should help you observe separation. And the scripture I will give you on this, the scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. The scripture on separation. The other scripture is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And then 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. The apostasy of these days. Give the Lord your God your first fruits. That's another principle. And I'll use a big example here. Hannah. Do you remember Hannah? 
She was looking for a baby. And she cried out to the Lord. But if you look at what she said, if you examine what she told the Lord, it touches you because it became a very extraordinary vow. She said, Lord, if you will give me a son, then I will give him to to you. And she said, for all the days of his life. And she said, no blood will touch his head. But you see, in the Jewish arrangement, in the calling of the Lord, it had to be only for 55 years. So I think around 55. That's when you observed the service and then you were released. There was a special way in which you were released. So you went and got married and did things. But here she was saying, for all the days of his life. I think that's a unique vow. And look how the Lord came through for her. Hallelujah. For all the days. In fact, she got other kids. So, if you are going to enter this city or start a new job, make sure your first fruits in that place as you enter. You tell them, excuse me guys, for me, I am born again. Your first effort in that place. I'm not talking about money. I know most people are probably thinking money here right now. No, 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 no. That is separate, you know. Make sure in whatever you do, the Lord comes first. If you are planning to get married, make sure in that marriage, the first priority is given to the Lord. I'm saying a marriage of three. Oh yes, because marriage can be a big idol before the Lord. Make sure Christ is priority there. First, meaning, I love you, but I love the Lord greater. And sometimes that is not a politically correct thing to say in a home, right? No, but that's all right. But that's all right as far as the kingdom is concerned. You simply want to preserve your salvation in these days. Oh, yes, because there are people that fail to serve the Lord because of marriage. Oh, yes. So I said, give the Lord your God your first fruits. Exodus 34, verses 19 to 22. And then First Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, I said... There is Genesis 28, verse 20. You can read on as the Lord helps you. Another principle is here. Fellowship with people going in the same direction. Amistad in Spanish. Fellowship with people going in the same direction. That will help you to preserve, the, to strengthen the light of Christ. And that's why I said. All these things, they boil down to one thing, separation. I am coming to a modern world like this, and I'm talking about separation. That in whatever you do, make sure you even choose your acquaintances, the people you hang out with. If there is a lot of drinking in that group, you have a right to say no. Oh, yes. I know you have friends. Some of them have been friends for many years. They are like people that stand for you or can stand in for you, whichever way. But time comes when you need to disconnect. Either you evangelize to them that they may walk in the same direction with you. And if they refuse, you move on. Other than them dragging you down, right? The scripture, for example, Proverbs 13.20. The next point, the sixth one. 
He says, maintain an eternal perspective in whatever you do. Meaning, if you are going to get a job or you are going to university to study, ask yourself, how does this program help my eternity? Am I going to train to become a criminal lawyer and then a thug comes or a murderer comes and tells me, look, I killed that woman, but I want you to go there and lie and tell them I did not kill. I'm just, I'm nothing against lawyers here. I'm just saying that these are the days we live in that everything matters. Everything will matter now. And he says, maintain an eternal perspective in whatever you do. Meaning, if you are buying a house in a given area or a home or you are buying a car, how does this house in this area affect your eternity? Enhance your eternity. Help your eternal perspective, your countenance, your leaning, your conformity to eternity. Sometimes you can buy a house in the most wicked neighborhood for evangelism. And that can help your eternity also. Oh yes, oh yes. Did you understand? Sometimes, sometimes you may launch in a really terrible neighborhood to do ministry. So these principles I give you they help you though maintain an eternal perspective in whatever you do. And then fellowship with people going in the same direction. So you may launch in an alcohol or drug infested area with purpose of ministry. That is alright. But not to launch there to be pulled down. That's what the Lord is saying here. Oh yes. Not to go there and lose your light. And extinguish your lamp. Poop. Right? Maintain an eternal perspective. I need to give you just one more. It says, be an example others can follow. Now that one will really help you. Be an example others can follow. Do you know how that will help you? Because you will then begin to understand that the light of God that you behold is leadership. Is an example others are following. So once you are aware that people are following you, then you will always ensure that you don't deliberately error. Oh yes. It bestows upon you a unique sense of responsibility. You can even declare, you know what? There is no falling here. Oh yes. And the Lord will help you. Because you know, people are following you. They are watching you. That is the pastoral calling. I wish all the pastors could follow this principle. Because you cannot preach this and live that. And I think that's where the problem is today. He's saying, be an example others can follow. For example, in this community, once they know you are the pastor, you have this integrity. Oh, we have a boy here who is suicidal. Can you come and pray for him? The police will come and call you. Can you pray for this woman? She's suicidal or she's drunk or this child is lost. Whatever. So you have a responsibility in this community. How then do they hear that you have, you've lost it? 
Be an example others can follow. Even in your life as a mother, a father, a son, a brother, if you are the one that is born again in that home, it is responsibility, right? Be an example others can follow. Can I add one more? There is one more that says, let Christ Jesus be your perfect example of single, singular focus on God the Father. Oh yes, in that way, he becomes your lead. In whatever you do left and right, you're focused on the leadership of Christ. Every time the Lord Jesus operated, he always said, let me do the work of he who sent me. Let Christ Jesus be the perfect example of singular focus onto God the Father. Every time the Lord Jesus spoke, he spoke about the Father. If you noted that. He said, let me do the work of he that sent me before it's too late. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever loves me has loved All the time, the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father. Hallelujah. Let Christ Jesus be your perfect example of single, singular focus on God the Father. Now, remember one thing, the Messiah is coming. And I've really given you everything I could. Including how to preserve the light. Some basic principles that can help navigate you. Now, the Messiah is coming. I have seen the coming of the Messiah. So please prepare in righteousness. If I don't ever come back to you, that's all right. You continue with the Lord and the Holy Spirit. He will help you. But remember the words spoken here. Time and the quality of salvation. Hallelujah. And for the pastors, there is a lesson here. The Lord has spoken and he has said, do not try to do your own ministry. Let the Lord do his ministry in you. In that way he will provide for you. In that way, he will take away the heartache, the worries, the fears for tomorrow. Because he never calls to humiliate. That I have seen. Hallelujah. Those of you who want to receive the Lord now, can you repeat this prayer with me? Say, precious Jesus. I have heard your word. I have heard about righteousness and holiness. And today I surrender unto you all my life and repent of all sin. I take you, Jesus, one more time as my Lord and Savior. Please establish your word in my life and cover me with the Holy Spirit and establish righteousness in my life. Precious Jesus, right now, 
I am born again. Amen.